Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, February 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast that is dedicated to prayer, devotion, scripture reading, and Bible study. The Prayer Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing a wonderful job for the kingdom. I would encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a real good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, again, I'm sorry. I really couldn't get something out yesterday. Um, and actually, so this I'm recording this for Tuesday morning, but I'm recording it Monday night. I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm sitting here. I don't have a cup of tea with me. I got a big cup of coffee with me, um, though it is half-calf. I, I thought I would try it. It was on sale. Because as I've told you before, I try to keep my trying to keep my caffeine down. Um, due to blood pressure issues, but again, very, very sorry. Sorry about being sick. And I told you the crazy story this weekend between the leak and having to move the beds and the dog under the, um, the dog under the dresser. And I mean, you name it. So, um, but I am here Monday night trying to record for Tuesday and set you up for morning and evening segment. Want to go ahead and get this done. I will do the best I can. And I'm sorry about the dog. I think my oldest son came to try to pick up a package um, and dog can't couldn't shut up to save his life. I love him, but couldn't shut up to save his life. All right. Well, so let's go ahead. Like I said, I'm going to try to see my, my voice should hold up. <clears throat> it may get a little froggy towards the end. I will do my best not to slurp in your ear as I, as I slurp coffee, trying to keep myself lubricated and all. But let's see how this goes. So let's go ahead and open up for this morning with the third day morning prayer. It's called God, Creator, and Controller. Let's pray. <clears throat> Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary when we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world, assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land where none is ever sick and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion from Spurgeon's morning and evening. And I'm sorry, I'm got something in my mouth that <laughs> my wife's making homemade chicken noodle soup and she put stinging nettle in it. And I think I have some of it. There we go. Got stuck up under my tongue and it felt weird. Okay. I've got it clear. Sorry about that. It just felt so weird trying to talk and that, that being there floating around. All right. So <clears throat> 
our Spurgeon morning and evening, our morning devotion. The text for it is from 1 John 3, 1 through 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Consider who we were, and what we feel ourselves to be even now when corruption is powerful in us, and you will wonder at our adoption. Yet we are called the sons of God. What a high relationship is that of a son, and what privilege it brings. What care and tenderness the son expects from his father, and what love the father feels towards the son. But all that and more than that we now have through Christ. As for the temporary drawback of suffering with the elder brother, this we accept as an honor. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. We are content to be unknown with him in his humiliation, for we are to be exalted with him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That is easy to read, but it is not so easy to feel. How is it with your heart this morning? Are you in the lowest depths of sorrow? Does corruption rise within your spirit, and grace seem like a poor spark trampled underfoot? Does your faith almost fail you? Fear not, it is neither your graces nor feelings on which you are to live. You must live simply by faith on Christ. With all these things against us, now, in the very depths of our sorrow, wherever we may be, now, as much in the valley as on the mountain, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Ah, but you say, see how I am arrayed? My graces are not bright. My righteousness does not shine with apparent glory. But read the next. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. The Holy Spirit shall purify our minds, and divine power shall refine our bodies. Then shall we see him as he is. All right. <clears throat> so, let's see. Our reading for the day, we're going to be reading from Exodus. Wow, sorry. Reading from Exodus 35, verse 10, all the way through Exodus 36. Matthew 27, verses 32 through 66, so that's the end of the chapter. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 10, and Proverbs 9, verses 77 and 8. And let me get a drink here. All right, better. All right. Oh, need to back up a minute. Exodus 35, verse 10. Sorry, I was on verse 11 there. And let everyone wise at heart among you come and make all that Yahweh has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its coverings, its clasps and its boards, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark and its poles, the mercy seat and the curtain of the screen, the table and its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light and its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense and its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the laver and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the woven garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. 
Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel went out from Moses' presence, and everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit was willing came and brought the contribution to Yahweh for the work of the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. Then all whose hearts were willing, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of gold. So did every man who waved it as a wave offering of gold to Yahweh. And every man who had in his possession blue and purple and scarlet material and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and porpoise skin brought them. Everyone who could raise up a contribution of silver and bronze brought the contribution to Yahweh. And every man who had in his possession acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women wise at heart spun with their hands and brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet material and in fine linen. And all the women whose heart stirred with wisdom spun the goat's hair. And the rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece and the spice and the oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. The sons of Israel, all the men and women whose heart was willing to bring material for all the work which Yahweh had commanded through the, through the hand of Moses to do brought a free will offering to Yahweh. Then Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, Yahweh has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in discernment, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship, to devise designs for working in gold, and in silver, and in bronze, and in cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, so as to do well in every work of thoughtful design. He has also put in his heart to teach, both he and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with wisdom in their heart to do every work of an engraver, and of a designer, and of an embroiderer, in blue and in purple and in scarlet material, and in fine linen, and of a weaver, as those who do every work and make designs. Exodus 36 <clears throat> Now Bezalel and Aholiab, and every person wise at heart to whom Yahweh has given wisdom and discernment to know how to do all the work of the service of constructing the sanctuary, shall do in accordance with all that Yahweh has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every person wise at heart to whom Yahweh had given wisdom, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work to do it. And they received from Moses the entire contribution which the sons of Israel had brought to do the work in the service of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. And all the wise men who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was doing. And they said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than enough for the service of the work which Yahweh commanded us to do. So Moses commanded, and a proclamation was passed throughout the camp, saying, Let no man or woman any longer do the work for the contribution of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. Indeed, the material they had was sufficient, and more than enough for all the work to do it. And all those wise at heart among those who were doing the work made the tabernacle with tin curtains of fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet material with cherubim, the work of a skillful designer. Bezalel made them. The length of each curtain was twenty-eight cubits, and the width of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains had the same measurements. He joined five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he joined to one another. He made loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. He did likewise on the edge of the curtain that was outermost in the second set. He made fifty loops in the one curtain, and he made fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. The loops were opposite each other. He made fifty clasps of gold and joined the curtains to one another with the clasps, so the tabernacle was one unit. 
Then he made curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. He made eleven curtains in all. The length of each curtain was thirty cubits, and four cubits the width of each curtain. The eleven curtains had the same measurements. He joined five curtains by themselves, and the other six curtains by themselves. Moreover, he made fifty loops on the edge of the curtains that was outermost in the first set, and he made fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that was outermost in the second set. He made fifty clasps of bronze to join the tent together so that it would be a unit. He made a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red, and a covering of porpoise skins all above. Then he made the boards for the tabernacle of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits was the length of each board, and one and a half cubits the width of each board. There were two tenons for each board, fitted to one another. Thus he did for all the boards of the tabernacle. And he made the boards for the tabernacle, twenty boards for the south side, and he made forty bases of silver under the twenty boards, two bases under one board for its two tenons, and two bases under another board for its two tenons. Then for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, he made twenty boards, and there forty bases of silver, two bases under one board, and two bases under another board. For the rear of the tabernacle to the west he made six boards, and he made two boards for the corners of the tabernacle at the rear. And they were separated beneath, but were together at their completion at the top. At the first ring thus he did with both of them for the two corners. And there were eight boards with their bases of silver, sixteen bases, two bases under every board. Then he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards of one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle for the rear side to the west. And he made the middle bar to pass through in the center of the boards from end to end. He also overlaid the boards with gold, and made their rings of gold as holders for the bars, and overlaid the bars with gold. Moreover, he made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. He made it with cherubim, the work of a skillful designer, and he made four pillars of acacia for it and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold, and he cast four bases of silver for them. <clears throat> and he made a screen for the doorway of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver. And he made its five pillars with their hooks, and he overlaid their tops and their bands with gold, but their five bases were of bronze. All right. Matthew 27, verse 32 through 66. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it he did not want to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there, and above his head they put up the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were blaspheming him, shaking their heads, and saying, You who are going to destroy the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God rescue him now, if he delights in him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Now from the sixth hour of darkness, now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, no, I'm sorry, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. 
that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them were saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city, and appeared to many. To many excuse me. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly this was God's Son. And many women who were there looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and laid it in his own to new tomb, which he had had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. <clears throat> now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore order for the grave to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 10. Of David, sorry, of David, when he feigned madness before Abimelech, so that he drove him away and he departed. <clears throat> sorry. I will bless Yahweh at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in Yahweh. The humble will hear, will hear it and rejoice. O magnify Yahweh with me, and let us exalt his name forever. I inquired of Yahweh, and he answered me, and delivered me from all that I dread. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be humiliated. This poor man called out, and Yahweh heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of Yahweh encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. O oh, taste and see that Yahweh is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear Yahweh, you his saints, for there is no want to those who fear him. The young lions do lack and stiff suffer hunger, but they who inquire of Yahweh shall not be in want of any good thing. Finally, <clears throat> Proverbs 9 verses 7 and 8. He who disciplines a scoffer receives disgrace for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man receives injury for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Thank you for spending this morning time with me. Um, <clears throat> I'm very, very grateful for the time you've spent. I continue to pray that, that we spending this time together helps us to be more and more saturated with the Word of God. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God.
And I hope to see you for the evening segment. We're going to go ahead and close out with a prayer from Valley of Vision. Uh, this one is called The Name of Jesus. Let's pray. All searching God, thou readest the heart, viewest principles and motives of actions, seest more defilement in my duties than I ever saw in any of my sins. The heavens are not clean in thy sight, and thou chargest the angels with folly. I am ready to flee from myself because of my abominations, yet thou dost not abhor me, but hast devised means for my return to thee, and that by thy son who died to give me life. Thine honor is secured and displayed even in my escape from thy threats, and that by means of Jesus, in whom mercy and truth meet together, and righteousness and peace kiss each other. In him the excuse me, in him the enslaved find redemption, the guilty pardon, the unholy renovation. In him are everlasting strength for the weak, <clears throat> unsearchable riches for the needy, treasures of wisdom and knowledge for the ignorant, fullness for the empty. At thy gracious call I hear, take, come, apply, receive his grace. Not only submit to his mercy, but acquiesce in it. Not only glory in the cross, but in him crucified and slain. Not only joy in forgiveness, but in the one through whom atonement comes. Thy blessings are as secure as they are glorious. Thou hast provided for my safety and my prosperity, and hast promised that I shall stand firm and grow stronger. O Lord God, without the pardon of my sin, I cannot rest satisfied. Without the renovation of my nature, by grace, I can never rest easy. Without the hopes of heaven, I can never be at peace. All this I have in thy Son, Jesus. Blessed be his name. All right. <clears throat> All right. Well, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, February 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, as you heard at the end of the morning segment, I was starting to get all froggy um, and junk in my throat. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, like I said, I'm going to try to hang on to my voice as long as I can. Um, and we'll continue on as God wills through the week. But as we always do on the evening segment, we're going to open up with a prayer from at the throne of grace it's a collection of prayers by john macarthur um and if i understand correctly one of these days i got to go through and read through the um, introduction like a personal word in the preface um i believe it was collected by his children um and like i've said before this these all enter in with text at the beginning so the text for today is the the title for it is basking in the love god lavishes on us and oh what what great great verses we're, we're working through ephesians in my sunday school class but so our verses for our today is Ephesians 1 verses 1 through 14, and oh, what amazing love this shows. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the, in the Beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of, your inherit of our inheritance, excuse me, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you to echo and to celebrate the vast blessings of our redemption, to the praise of your glory. We rejoice that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Before the foundation of the world, you chose us to be holy and blameless in your presence. We were lovingly predestined to become your sons and daughters. We have now attained complete redemption through the blood of Christ. His sacrifice on the cross purchased full forgiveness for all our sins. Thus we have been lavished with your grace, and you have opened the eyes of our understanding, so that we might know the hope of your calling. You have given us an immeasurable inheritance, and you have sealed all these promises by giving us your Holy Spirit. Before you even created the universe, it was your eternal purpose to bestow on us, your love and your grace, so that we might in turn worship your Son forever with our love and our praise. We get a small taste of the privilege now when we commune with you in prayer, and so we acknowledge with deeper gratitude that we are the recipients of vast heavenly blessings. You have um, deluged us with your grace. You have made us your sons and daughters, even though we were yet your avowed enemies. We were dead, and you gave us life. We were in darkness, and you brought us into the light. We were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were far off, but you brought us near by the blood of Christ. Even now we stand in need of your grace, moment by moment. Help us to abide in Christ and draw life and, ver and vitality as branches from the eternal vine. We know that we can do nothing good or holy without the strength he supplies. We, are, we desire to be fruitful and thus prove to be true, <clears throat> true and faithful disciples. We long to be bright beacons of your truth in a world of darkness. We earnestly hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Grant us the wisdom, the will, and the power to work for what pleases you. Lord, we come before you eager to offer you our praise, but we confess that we are restrained by our inability to apprehend the greatness of your glory and your grace towards us. We can't even discern our own errors rightly. Acquit us of hidden faults. Keep us back from presumptuous sins. Liberate us, we pray, from all the limitations of our fallen sinfulness, and set us free to praise you with full understanding. Be honored as we bow our heads before you in prayer, and be glorified once more as we raise our voices before you in worship. Fix our thoughts on your truth and give us singleness of mind, so that our worship may be acceptable to you. We earnestly desire these things in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. Oh, what an amazing one. All right. And our devotion, as we've been doing, will be from, um, let's see. So it will be the February 13th entry 
from Thomas, Thomas Watson's Glorifying God devotional. And let's see, the title is the scriptures and the text is 2 Timothy 3.16. Oh, a good one. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word of God, which is contained in the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. It is given by divine inspiration. The scripture is not the work of man's brain, but is divine in its origin. The Holy Scripture is to be reverenced and esteemed, because we are sure it comes from it came from heaven. The two testaments are the two lips by which God has spoken to us. The Old and New Testaments are the foundation of all religion. If their divinity cannot be proved, the foundation on which we build our faith is gone. One shall therefore endeavor to prove this great truth, that the Scriptures are the very word of God. One, one shall wonder whence the Scriptures should come, if not from God, bad men could not be the authors of it. Would they declare so fiercely against sin? Good men could not be the authors of it. Could it stand with their grace to counterfeit God's name and put thus saith the Lord to a book of their own designing? Or devising, excuse me. Nor could any angel in heaven be the author, because the angels pry and search into the abyss of gospel mysteries, which implies their ignorance of some parts of Scripture, and sure, they cannot be the authors of that book, which they themselves do not fully understand. Besides, which, what angel would be so arrogant as to impersonate God and say, I create, Isaiah 65, 17, and I the Lord have said, Numbers 14, 35. It is evident, the pedigree of scripture is sacred, and it could come from none but God himself. Amen to that. All right, well, let's go ahead and continue on in our study of uh, John chapter 18. All right, so, and this is our occurrence in the Garden of Gethsemane, at least this first part, this first 11 verses. Um, and, you know, it's basically Jesus being betrayed and arrested. That's kind of our overall title for the thing. And we dealt with um, last week on, I think it was Friday, I think that's what actually finally recorded it after a crazy, crazy week. Um, it was Christ's supreme courage. We saw that in verses one through verse four, a, the beginning of it, that he saw them coming. He know, knew that all these things that were coming upon him, all this was happening, meaning the cohort was coming or the, the, what did we call it? The maniple, probably the little 200. Well, I say little 200 legionnaires is not a small amount, especially fully arrayed. Um, plus the court officers and stuff like that, the I'm see the temple officers and all that. Not a small group of people to come arrest him, um, and coming armed. I mean, very clearly with lanterns, torches, and weapons, as we saw in verse three, coming to arrest him. And uh, you know, so <clears throat> sorry. Um, and yeah, I'm going to keep struggling with this. Hang on, just a second. And I have to admit, I took a break before we started the Bible study portion because my wife had finally finished making homemade chicken noodle soup and I really needed it. And, oh, it was awesome. And, and I have to thank, thank my oldest son who swung by. And I think I told you that, that I heard the dog barking and I knew it was him <clears throat> to pick up a package. He stopped and helped season things. He is a wonderful, wonderful cook um, and has done so professionally. But that's not what he does now. I wish he could and support his family. I really wish he could because he's amazing. But, so what we're going to see, so we saw that supreme courage, but what we're also going to see manifested in this. And again, we've got to see this in a couple of different lights. What we want to see here, um, like we talked about through <clears throat> the upper room discourse, and we talked about through the high priestly prayer, 
is, again, Jesus is trying to lift up the faith and prop up the faith and strengthen the faith of these 11. Because again, stuff's going nuts. I mean, we've talked about it from the beginning, you know, uh, you know, their world's falling apart. They expected this guy to establish his kingdom right here. And I, this guy, the Messiah, um, because, you know, coming out of their culture to establish a worldly kingdom and oh boy, and they were going to be tops. Not that they were really looking for social, but they, they were like, he's going to bring peace right now on earth. And we've talked about it, how even Jews today, and I've talked to you know, about it. I have talked to you about it. Like Ben Shapiro, you hear him talk about that from his Jewish background and that's what they still expect. But of course, that's a misunderstanding of who the Messiah really was like we've talked about, but again, so their world's fallen apart he knows he's about to be arrested, beaten, whipped, murdered. And I'm saying it quickly just because we've talked about it before, but we understand the impact of it, that it's going to have on them. So he's continually trying to strengthen them. And even we saw in the high priestly prayer, as he prays out loud, he makes clear to them, listen, God is going to fulfill these. And here's the requests I'm making to you. And it being God, he is going to fulfill these. He's going to do the, these making, you know, trying to support their faith, trying to strengthen their faith. Well, Jesus' behavior, I have to see as part of the way he interacts here, the way he behaves here in the Garden of Gethsemane, is along the same lines. Now, at the same time, he's doing it clearly, and believe me, this is primary. He's doing this, and he's taking the actions he's taking, taking to perfectly fulfill the prophecy, to perfectly fulfill God's will. That's primary, I'm sure. You know, I, I'm not trying to push that aside. But at the same time, I, I think he's doing it at the same time to have an impact on these 11. That he doesn't run screaming, he doesn't curl up and hide in the crook of an olive tree or behind the crushing stones that where they, where they mash out the oil or any of that kind of stuff with the, with the olives. He goes right up to him and goes, and, and we're going to see what he ends up doing here. He goes right up to them. He shows that courage. But then we see him show his power here. He manifests his divine power here. And we're going to have two other sections here as well. We're going to see him manifest his love. And um, I forget what the, the, the last one is. And I'll remember it later. I didn't write it down. But, but tomorrow night, we're going to look at the, his supreme love, but we're watching him manifest his supreme power right here in John 18 verses 4b through 6. So let me read them. Actually, I'm going to read from the beginning of verse 4. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to, said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So starting in verse four, we're just going to break them down verse by verse and see what's really that, how that supreme power is manifested. So the part of four, four B and said to them, whom do you seek? So again, like I brought up Friday, I, I'm sure I remember bringing this up Friday. We need to see that Jesus did not sit there and wait for them to come up and tell him what was going on. Like I said, as I stated last week, he went out to confront them. He, again, he had gone to the garden to facilitate and force this encounter to complete God's plan. Like we talked about, he went out in the dark when, of course, they're more likely to do something because the crowds aren't going to be out there. He went out to the garden where he knew Judas knew that he would be and had regularly gone. And he went out there with just the 11. 
making him that much more of a target. So again, but he's forcing this encounter, encounter like we talked about. He forced the, the, the um, triumphal entry. I mean, he's coming here during Passover. They didn't want to do anything about it. There's over a million people there. And what, what an area prone for riot if this guy that the people are starting to believe in, they all of a sudden try to arrest. Again, the religious leaders didn't want to do this, but Jesus is forcing it because he's the final sacrifice. He is the fine, final Passover sacrifice that puts paid, that, that satisfies, completely satisfies the Mosaic covenant, completely satisfies it where no amount of calves and goats and sheeps and priests bringing them in there and sacrificing them and sprinkling the blood and the oil and the, uh, whatever, no amount of that could satisfy the Mosaic covenant. His sacrifice on the cross does. So, He's going to force this. So it has to, it has to take place at the Passover. That is the appropriate place for that final sacrifice to take place. So he comes to the Passover and he causes the triumphal entry. I mean, he doesn't go around whipping up. I, I mean, he knew his being there would bring a, bring it about and his being there in Jerusalem. And then his going here to the garden of Gethsemane would drive it to where this was going to happen. This is fulfilling God's plan. Again, he's forcing this to happen to complete God's plan, to show his true love and obedience to the father. So Jesus takes charge of that situation. Like we, like, like we saw his courage, he takes charge of the situation. We saw that, but he comes to them. He doesn't wait for them to come and go, are you, he goes, who do you, who are you looking for? I mean, the way we would say it in our vernacular, who are you looking for? He's even taking charge of that. It's not a waiting for them to ask. It's a, who are you looking for? So chat, verse five, they answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So of course they respond with what their orders are. They've been given the orders to go find Jesus, the Nazarene, go find him and bring him here. So they, they, they respond with their but Jesus' response here, and, and we un, unfortunately, the way we translate it in the English doesn't bring across the power. So I'm going to correct it here. And again, I'm not trying to bash. I'm, I'm Again, I'm reading you the LSB. It's the best translation out there. Not trying to bash that. But Jesus' response here is just awesome. But our English translation tends to weaken it a little. And I'm going to show you how. So he said to them, I am he. That's how we translate it in English. That's not actually what the Greek is. The Greek there is actually, he said to them, I am. I am. Where do we remember hearing that before? All the I am statements we've run across. And he's used that repeatedly to directly relate himself to God. He ba basically looked at them and said the name of God at them making clear that he was God. He was God incarnate right there in front of them. Like, I, like I've said before, as he's done in a number of places, even in John's gospel, we've seen it. He claims for himself the name of God. I am. Exodus 3.14. And God said to Moses, so Moses trying to say, who do I tell them is sending me? God, and God said to Moses, Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And we have to remember he's saying that, yes, he's saying the name of God. But what he is also saying and saying, I am, is he's saying, 
I am eternal. I am God. I am the son of God. I am proclaiming clearly. I am the son of God. I am eternal. I have not been created. I am self-existent. I am so far above you. And I am here. That is what he's saying with that. And so, you know, wow, just the name of God that he throws at them. I am. And of course, we add in he because that sounds like how we would respond. I am he. And they knew that's what he was meaning is he's saying that in reference to himself. They, they would have understood that in the Greek. But of course, John, the apostle here, makes a little what, what would typically be called a parenthetical statement, a little addendum here in the end of verse five. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. John makes kind of clear here that Judas is an addendum. Judas is an extra. Judas is not in charge of any of this stuff. Now, please don't, please don't take this as me putting aside anything the other gospels say, where they talk about Judas coming up and give him a kiss and any of that kind of stuff. But what John is doing here is making very, very clear that at this point in the narrative, Judas is an extra. Judas is an extra. He is not pertinent to this. Yes, he started the act by going and telling them Jesus is going to be here. But at this point, he is no longer a primary actor on the stage. He is no longer a primary actor. Only, And he's definitely not in control of this. Only Jesus Christ was. That's why John writes this this way. But here's the crux. Here's where we watch this supreme power come into being. Verse six. So when he said to them, I am he, or I am the name of God, they drew back and fell to the ground. Notice all Jesus had to do was to speak the name of God, a name he claimed for himself, and it knocked these 200 plus people to the ground. This makes very clear that Jesus had the power here, that he was completely in control. John 10, 17, 18. And, and again, the people that try, try, as I've said before, try to cast Jesus as a victim. So misunderstand the scripture, John 10, 17, 18. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Lay down, that's an active verb. No one takes it away from me, but from myself, I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. They didn't come and seize Jesus or apprehend him. He went with them willingly to carry out the father's plan. And this part of the plan of salvation with his propitiatory sacrifice. Again, he, he makes very, very clear um, in some of the other gospels where he talks about um, when, when, when Peter, and we're going to, we're going to deal with these verses later, when, when, um, or like later in the week, God willing, when Peter whips a sword out or one of the disciples does in, in John, it's the, it's the, it's Peter um, whips a sword out and hacks somebody, hacks, hacks a slave's ear off. And Jesus makes clear, I could summon legions of angels. I mean, basically the, basically the point he's making is I could nuke the earth were I to do it but he's clear I'm here to do my father's will so you know again he, he proclaims I am he or I am and they drew back and fell to the ground 
Now, I want to I want to discuss some stuff factually here with you that I really kind of broke down here and I ran across it and I, I was ready to break this down anyways, but I ran across it in the commentaries I was looking at. So a lot have tried to remove the mystique from this, from this display of Jesus's power. They try to try to take that in whatever translation it is, it is where it says they drew back and fell to the ground. And they've tried to make the argument that Jesus suddenly came out of the darkness and startled these people so that they, they, the first, the first rank of them stepped back. So, so their argument continues to say that him coming out of the darkness here, because believe me, I, I mean, believe me nowadays, it's kind of lit up, but back in those days, it probably wouldn't have been that lit up though. It might've had some light from the city. It's not that far from where Jerusalem is to cross the Kidron. Everybody thinks it's bit, big distance. It's not. So maybe there was some light reflecting from the city or whatever, but Jesus coming out of the darkness, like, like, like some spook or ghoul, I guess is what they, what they think, which is ridiculous. But their indication is that he comes out and the first rank of people there kind of jump back in surprise, bumping into the people in the second rank who fall down and bump into the people in the third rank who then jump back and fall down and bump into the people in the fourth rank and so on and so on. Like, you know, do you see where this is going? In your, in your imagination, do you see this mass of dominoes tumbling over? I mean, that, that's really their argument, is that's what happened. It wasn't any kind of divine power. Well, let's debunk this a little bit. We've got this maniple, these 200 Roman soldiers, okay? And we've talked about that. These were professional soldiers. These are not even, and I don't mean to bash but these aren't reservists. These aren't national guardsmen. And I'm not trying to bash those because those are the most of those are pretty professional soldiers too, too. But the, these are not auxiliaries. These are not, these are 200 Roman legionnaires. They are professional soldiers. They are who they are because they fight. They fight side by side with each other. And because of the way they fight, they fight toe to toe with their opponents all the time. They're shield to shield with them. They're, they're fist to fist, they're weapon to weapon with them. Um, that's why they wear the metal armor, the metal breastplate and all that kind of stuff. The greaves on their, on their, on their legs. So somebody's trying to stab under their shield with a spear. I mean, that kind of stuff. They're face to face. This, this is not opening fire from 200 yards out kind of stuff and plinking away where you hear from like battlefields nowadays, of the thousands and thousands of rams fired and all of two people killed, you know, kind of thing. Oh no, they're, they're toe to toe. And in the first century AD, they were doing a lot of fighting. These kinds of soldiers don't jump and stumble around when some carpenter comes out of the darkness in an olive grove, just outside the walls of the city, especially in the numbers they're in. But they're in command of this place. 200 of them. I mean, this, this is a good, this is a good anywhere from a quarter to a fifth of an entire legion that has come out. Believe me, there's confidence in numbers. They're not jumping and staggering around. Now, on top of that, um, and I didn't even write this in my notes, but I was thinking about it. The sandals they wore in their battle dress, the sandals they wore, they were like cleats. They, they were hobnailed. So they were like cleats. They would dig into the ground like cleats. They, they, they use those like this so that when they went into battle line and their shield to shield, you know, got the shield wall up and the guys behind them, they could plant and get traction. I don't know if you've ever done it. I used to run track. I used to, which is amazing if you look at my, my physique now, but I used to run sprints 
And when you ran sprints and stuff like that, the shorter distances, you wore spikes. And so typically it was shoes. If, assuming the tracks were correct, you, you wore um, shoes who had metal spikes up in the toes. And the amount of grab and traction and push forward which just I mean, blew you away the first time you ever did it. Well, they had hobnail boots that were like that across the whole sole to give them more pushing force forward as they were fighting so that when they would lock arms, it was very, very hard for their opponents to try to push them back. It, it was easier for them physically to move forward than for somebody else to push them back. And especially when they had a second rank and a third rank and a fourth rank behind them pushing forward. Now we know from verse 3, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. They are fully kitted out. They are wearing their sandals. They've got their weapons. They've got all of this. Okay, they are kitted out for war. Again, a, anywhere from a quarter, depending on the size of the legion, from a quarter of the legion of that legion that was there in Jerusalem to a fifth of the size of that legion. So a large number of that legion. They're not jumping it again. It's some carpenter coming out of the darkness. They're not. Then we look at it. These officers that were with them. These were religious officers. They were professionals. They were trained not only in Levitical law, but in law enforcement and apprehension and mob management, you name it. And I'm sure with the issues that the Sanhedrin was having with Jesus to this point, they end up sending the more senior officers to go get him. These are not rookies that they're sending out with this maniple of Roman soldiers. So these officers aren't going to be startled either, especially with 200 professional Roman soldiers backing them up. I mean, the fact is, this is probably going to be the easiest arrest they've ever made. And, and actually, Jesus makes it that way because he goes with them willingly. He's in charge of it. So, and, and again, so I'm going to come back to ver verse 3 there. that This group were all set with lanterns, torches, and weapons. They were ready for a fight. So being ready for a fight at this point, but knowing they're not going into a fight with trained people, they would have been a little spaced out. They would have been looking in all directions. They would have been monitoring in all directions. What, what we in the military call having your head on a swivel. You're constantly, constantly aware of your surroundings in all 360 degrees. And you're checking your six, constantly checking behind you. They wouldn't have been surprised. They've, they would not, they wouldn't have gone over in this mass because of gone over in mass because of it, because of it, him coming out of the dark, like a bunch of dominoes. It's that is foolish for people to think that they drew back and fell to the ground because he proclaimed the word of God, the power of God's spoken word coming from the word made flesh, speaking the name of God, bowled these men over as if they'd been felled by a sledgehammer to the head. This is the same power that created the universe. Revelation 19.21 And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sits on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. That's the word coming from the mouth of Christ. At the acknowledgement of Christ that he was God and he was there for them, all of them tumbled to the ground. All of them tumbled to the ground. Jesus manifested right there his supreme power, right there in front of the eleven. He made absolutely clear there that in his going with them, it was by his choice, not by theirs. And that he wasn't being arrested 
in contention, that he was allowing them to apprehend him. And that in and of itself, it, to me, that is even a greater manifestation of power than his actually knocking them to the ground, is making clear to them that you're only being able to do this because I'm letting you do it. Hang on a second. Sorry, got a little aggressive there and I dried up. Um, but what an amazing show of Jesus' supreme power. <coughs> None of this happened by accident or caused God to shift to plan B. Um, you know, the people, like I said, that try to make it out that Jesus is a victim, that, that oh, he messed up. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I always come back to, because I used to love it. I, I loved it because of the music, because I was into a heavier kind of music. But the, the musical Jesus Christ Superstar and you have Judas sitting there singing to Jesus about, you know, what mistakes did you make? How did you mess this up? What do you and that that's mankind's outlook on this, that Jesus really messed it up. He should have come at another time. He should have done it. At, no, this happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen. And Jesus allowed this. Jesus gave himself up. They didn't take him. He gave himself up. And what a manifestation of power that is. This happened as it was ordained. Seeing that power, what hope and confidence we should have and what hope and confidence that should have given the 11. And honestly, I believe it did. I know, I know, and I know Dr. MacArthur has talked about, you know, you see them scatter. And, and I understand where he's coming from. I don't necessarily disagree with him that it shows kind of a weakness of faith. faith. But at the same time, that faith stayed, stayed strong enough and I believe it truly stayed strong enough because of all Jesus did from John 13 through here in John 18, the end of this here in the Garden of Gethsemane, that that helped their faith stay strong enough that upon his resurrection and his ascension, they became the, the organism that carried the gospel to the ends of the known world. So they did have hope and confidence. They may not have shown it right at first, but they did have hope and confidence. And we should too. Because he did that and with all the power he showed, he allowed them to take him in so that he could die for our sins. And what hope that must give us that he gave himself up for us gave himself up, wasn't taken, gave himself up. And that is the supreme power that Jesus manifests here. All right. Well, that is our Bible study for the day. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to close out with the third day evening prayer before sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable. Thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. 10,000 minister to thee, 10,000 times 10,000 stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us. The mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city, 
Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, well, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. And I so, 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 I, I continue to pray that this time in the Word helps you and I both grow so much in our understanding of the Scriptures. And thus it helps to shape our Christian walk. All right, I hope you have a great night, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.